We've uh, been teaching for a number of weeks on um, man on three dimensions, and uh, we have tried to identify the difference between spirit and soul and uh, and so forth. I'm not sure. Um, well, we certainly didn't say everything that can be said on the subject, and nor um, am I sure that we've done a good enough job in trying to identify the difference between the two. But First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, talks about the threefold nature of man. Paul said, I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it tells us the makeup of man, spirit, soul, and body. Now, it's easy to distinguish between the body and everything else, and it's pretty easy to distinguish between um, uh, the, the mind or the, the soul. Most people think of the mind when they talk about the soul. The Bible specifically identifies the soul as the, the, uh, uh, the mind, the will, and the emotions. But um, but distinguishing between spirit and soul is really difficult because we're so used to living by our minds, so used to living by our intellects. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20. No, I'm sorry, I've got that backwards. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, it's your spirit that God contacts you from or through. God makes contact with your spirit. Second Thessalonians, or Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new species of being, one translation says, a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We know from many different scriptures and from our own experience that it's not the outward man that's made new, it's the inward man. It's the spirit of man that's made new. But one of the most outstanding characteristics of the Christian life is that here this new life, this abundant life, this God kind of life that changes you and recreates you from within, recreates your spirit, has no impact whatsoever on your body or your soul. For that reason, we see in uh, many different scriptures, uh, one example is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writing to recreated spirit beings, people who have been made new by the blood of Jesus, told them to do something with their body and their minds. He begins in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice it's you that do that, not God that does that for you. That you present your bodies. Now, if the body was affected by the new birth, why would we need to present it to God? That you present your bodies unto God, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Other translations say spiritual worship. In other words, spiritual worship, as far as the Bible definition of spiritual worship, it's not singing in tongues, although that's good and it'll bring you benefit. That's what most charismatics think spiritual worship is all about. But spiritual worship is doing something with your body. In other words, controlling your body from the inner man. Now, again, if the inner man... If the, if the, um, if the new birth affected our bodies, why would we have to do anything with them? But in fact, it doesn't affect our bodies unless we train our bodies to do the right thing from our spirits. Verse two, it goes on to say in, um, in Romans chapter 12, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, he's saying, even though you're born again, even though you folks are Christians, unless you do something about your minds, you're not going to ascertain or identify the will of God for your life. Now, it's an interesting thing to realize that the word of God, well, let me let me go ahead and make a statement and get this out of the way. The question is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to present our bodies to God? How are we going to renew our minds? How are we going to change our bodies and our souls? to match the change that's been made in our spirits by the blood of Jesus. How are we going to do that? Well, it has to be through the Word. 
It has to be through the word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder between soul and spirit. It's the only thing that can divide between soul and spirit. Now, it's if you if you know anything about uh, psychology, and I've done some study in this, I, I took some psychology courses in college and, and um, uh, was really pretty amazed at some things that I learned. And then when I, I found out about uh, the truth of the word and and uh, began renewing my mind to the word, it... it uh, uh, it made even some of the things that I taught more incredible to me. Because the history of this is that uh, even even psychologists, uh, medical science has identified that there is a, a what they call the subconscious mind. Well, man doesn't have a subconscious mind. If he did, the Bible would tell us so. The Bible tells us the complete makeup of man, spirit, soul, and body. But the But the medical world talks about a subconscious mind. Now, this goes back in history to a, a English, I mean, um, excuse me, a French uh, psychologist, uh, Pierre Genet, I think his name was. He's the one that, that postulated that, that there was a subconscious mind. Freud developed it. Sigmund Freud developed it many years later. But he changed the terms. He said it's not a subconscious mind. It's not a, the, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. He said it's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And other other psychologists have made uh, great fortunes and great names for themselves talking about the unconscious mind, that which is uh, which is uh, forefront in man's intellect is called the conscious mind, and everything underneath is called the unconscious mind, or in some cases subconscious mind. But what is that? Well, in the 60s, there was a lot of uh, research that was done. 1960s, there was a lot of research done on the subconscious mind. There's still a lot of things being done today, although we don't hear as much about it as we did back then. And in every case, you'll find that the attempt that medical science, psychologists particularly, uh, every attempt that they make to reach and make contact with this subconscious or unconscious mind, depending on whose term you want to use, is through either mind-altering drugs or exercises. In other words, they're trying to alter the consciousness of man to reach what's underneath. Now, medical science is, is, uh, is widely um, accepting of the fact that the subconscious or the unconscious mind, what we know of as the spirit of man, has much greater ability than the conscious mind. What they've done is they've distinguished between spirit and soul, but they don't know what they are. As such, since... Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God is the key to living. And we know that God contacts us through our spirit. So therefore, we know that the only thing that can divide between soul and spirit, the only thing that can develop your spirit, the only thing that can alter your consciousness, which is another way of saying it, is alter the mind that's conformed to this world. See, the medical science is right on one hand. It does take an altering of the conscious mind. In other words, the natural mind. See, the conscious mind, what they call the conscious mind is really the natural mind according to the word. It's that which conforms us to the world. So what medical science is doing, and, and here again, they're right to a point, to a degree. They realize that you've got to change your consciousness in order to reach that subconscious or unconscious mind. Well, the Bible told us that without the need of any of the psychologists or anybody else. And in fact, it defined it for us and showed us how to do it. Doesn't take drugs, doesn't take some kind of exercises. It just takes the word of God. That's why the Bible says renew your mind to the word. Because the word will alter your conscious thinking. It will alter the way that you think, your thinking process. 
to access your spirit. Now, when we talk about the mind, talk about the soul and the mind, there are certain things that the Bible tells us about the mind. For example, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So it's telling you not to be carnally minded, it's telling you to be spiritually minded. Now, specifically in Romans chapter 8, the carnal mind that he's talking about are the unsaved. But you know as well as I do that the Bible instructs us, as we've already referred to a couple of scriptures, the Bible instructs us to change our thinking from the world's or the unsaved way of thinking, right? So you can be a Christian and still think carnally. You can still be carnally minded. And it will still bring you into the same death here on the earth, even though you have eternal life in your spirit, unless and until... You be, you turn things around and become spiritually minded. Now, what does it mean to be spiritually minded? Well, John 6, 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So if the word of God is spirit and we're instructed to be spiritually minded, then that means we've got to be word minded. Isn't that right? So the mind altering exercises that the word gives us, meaning the natural mind, altering our thinking from the natural way of thinking, the unsaved way of thinking, is through the Word of God. Now, James warns us about being double-minded. The opposite of being double-minded is to be single-minded. Now, what does he mean when he's talking about double-minded and single-minded? He's talking about being single-minded on the Word. In other words, to to think and to focus our attention on the Word and the Word only. Paul wrote to the church, and he warned the church, or instructed the church, encouraged the church to be sober-minded. The word sober literally means not be moved by emotions. Um, there's a there's an inter- interesting uh, verse of Scripture in uh, Matthew chapter 5 where it talks about the madman of Gadara, the guy that was possessed with the devils, and, and uh, he, they gave him superhuman strength so that he broke chains and everything that people tried to tie him up with and stuff like that. It says that after Jesus cast the devil out of him, People came from the region round about to see Jesus, and they saw this man that had been possessed with the devil sitting in his clothed and sitting in his right mind. Now, that phrase, right mind, those two words that are translated in English, right mind, that's the word that's translated sober in other places. Every other place is translated sober. For example, in Romans chapter 12, after he tells you to present your body a living sacrifice in verse 1, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in verse 2. Verse 3, he says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's that right-mindedness in in Mark chapter 5 and verse 15, when the man was delivered of the devil. So it tells us that the influence of the devil will keep us from being right-minded. His is certainly an extreme situation, but that would be true on every level, wouldn't it? So right-minded or sober-minded would be not to, would be to escape the influence of the devil, which is the spirit of this world, which is the world's way of thinking. Can you see that? What we're talking about is giving attention to the word. We're talking about giving attention to the word. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14 says, The natural man cannot receive not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he receive them because they're foolishness, foolishness unto him, because they, the word of God, the, the words of God, are spiritually discerned. Another translation says spiritually understood. The unsaved can't even understand the Bible. And in the same 
manner, not to the same degree, but in the same manner, the carnal mind of the Christian. In other words, the unrenewed mind, the Christian who has failed to renew his mind, doesn't understand the word either. For that reason, you can read some commentaries from people that have got degree after degree after degree, and, and honest to goodness, I wonder if some of these people are even saved. Because the way they interpret the Bible and what they get from the Bible is so far away from the real meaning of the word, it's just mind-boggling. So I'm left to conclude that either they're church members and not saved, or they're saved but they've never renewed their mind to the word and they're still living according to the intellect and the thinking of the unsaved. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. God's not going to lead you through your mind. So many times we try to come up, we're looking for answers from God. We'll pray, and so we try to come up with an idea. And we think that an idea or a thought is the way that God's going to talk to us, and it never is. God never brings a thought directly to your mind. Now, a thought may come from your spirit to your mind, but never directly from your mind, from God to your mind. Because it's the spirit of man that's the candle of the Lord. God leads you through your spirit. Now, you know as well as I do that billions of dollars are spent in the worldwide and even in this country to develop the mind. Billions of dollars are spent to develop the body. But what about spiritual development? Where does that come from? Well, in most circles, if you even mention something like that, they'll look at you like you're crazy. Nobody even considers spiritual development. But the, the spirit can be developed just like the mind can and the body can. The spirit can be developed just like the mind can be developed through education. You can educate the spirit just like you can educate the mind. You can train the spirit just like you can train the body. In other words, the body can, just as the body is disciplined through training, the spirit can be disciplined as well. I remember, um, I remember Brother Hagen telling a story. I'd heard it a number of times. And um, uh, he he talked about when he was uh, on the road, he had uh, uh, a young couple that was working with him at the time. Just uh, they would drive in a just a sedan. There's just them, the three of them. They would do the singing. He'd do the preaching at uh, whatever church they were going to. And uh, uh, if I remember correctly, it was San Angelo, Texas, the city they were going to. And um, uh, Brother Hagen talked about uh, it made such a focus of developing his spirit that he looked to his spirit to give him all the answers that he needed. And so they got to town and uh, the other guy was driving, the young man was driving and he asked him, he said, have you ever been to San Angelo before? He said, no. He said, then you don't know where the church is. He said, well, I've never been to the church. So no, I wouldn't know where it is. And then he, then he got quiet and said, turn right on this, at this next street corner. Went down a couple of blocks, said, turn left here. Well, long story short, they wound up after making three or four turns, they wound up driving up in front of the church. And so the young guy thought Brother Hagin was, was pulling his leg about not knowing where it was. He said, oh, you, you've been here before. And he said, no, I've never been here before in my life. He said, well, how'd you know where the church was? He said, I just followed my spirit. Well, we were out here in a crusade in uh, the early 80s out at Fred Price's church up at uh, the old building before they went out, moved out to the Pepperdine campus. And um, uh, after the morning service, it was morning and evening services, and after the morning service, um, Brother Price, Pastor Price, was going to have the crew over at the house. It was short crew, small crew. And uh, so he was going to have them over at the house. And there were people in the church that had uh, uh, cooked lunch for us and were going to feed us and all that kind of stuff. And, and this, was, this was a common thing. It was something that was done uh, pretty much every time that we came out. 
And, uh, and oh boy, these people that cooked. It was, uh, uh, Clint and Willa. Uh, I don't remember their last names, but oh, they'd make barbecue. And I mean, it would be stuff. We, we'd look forward to this whenever we'd come out. Well, Fred's daughter, Cheryl, was working at the church at the time. And Cheryl was supposed to wait for us. Uh, Pastor Fred and, and the Hagans had gone on before. And, uh, and so we were supposed to get, uh, Cheryl to lead us to their house. In the meantime, Pastor Fred had moved from one house to another and we'd never been to the new house, so we didn't know where it was. And, uh, so I went, to, we finished up all the stuff at the end of the morning service and I went over to the office and I started looking for Cheryl, couldn't find Cheryl anywhere. So I started looking everywhere else and, and, uh, even the, the old building was kind of a large place. And so I'm looking everywhere and finally go back to the office and somebody said, well, Cheryl said she was leaving. And so I thought, Cheryl, you lousy thing, you, she would do this kind of stuff to me all the time. I mean, it was, it was just, she was always pulling my leg, pulling pranks, stuff like that. I thought she knows how much we want to go to their house and eat barbecue. So she has purposely left us out of this thing and going to laugh at us all the rest of the afternoon. So I thought about that story with Brother Hagin finding the church in San Angelo. So I just says, okay, I'm just going to follow my spirit and make it over there. Well, after about an hour, I was hopelessly lost. This was way before cell phones or anything like that. I'm hopelessly lost in downtown Los Angeles. So finally we stopped at a, at a filling station and, and called somebody and got the number. And, and anyway, um, somebody guided us in. They told us what to do and how to get there. It still took us about 30 minutes to get there from then. And we walked in and Fred Price was so mad at me. He was just steaming. There was smoke coming out of his ears. And because uh, I don't know why. They went ahead and ate. It wasn't like they were waiting on us for anything. But anyway, he was really upset because I had messed up his schedule and, and he was really upset. And so we got in there and, and, you know, people are saying, well, what happened to you guys? Cheryl was there. She said, I was waiting for you. What happened? And all this kind of stuff. And I'm, you lying thing. You, you were, you were nowhere to be found. And so anyway, we got there and, and Brother Hagin said, well, he knew I found out I was driving. And so he said, well, Mike, what, where'd you go? I said, I finally just kind of fessed up and I kind of said quiet. I said, well, dad. I was trying to follow my spirit to get here. And he fell over laughing. He started kicking his leg and fell into the floor and laughed. It was the funniest thing that he thought he had ever heard, that kind of stuff. Well, stuff like that doesn't happen overnight. We hear stories that other people have, have experienced, and we like to think, oh, yeah, we can do that. I mean, after all, I've been saved for two years now. But these things come with time. I've been doing this now for, for about 38 years. And there are still some things that I'm not where I want to be yet. Now, I got to tell you, at the time that I did that, I thought I was spiritually mature enough to handle it. I thought, oh, I can do it. Brother Hagin did it. I can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by some of the young people that are getting a younger start at it this than I did. Because now there are things that the Holy Ghost will lead me to and things that I get a witness in my heart about. That now that I know that I know that I know, I've got a confidence now after 38 some odd years that I didn't have when I just started out. But oh, I wanted it so bad when I first started. I wanted to skip all the steps and just get there instantly. You can't do it. It just doesn't work that way. You're not going to get there in five years. You're not going to get there in 10 years. It takes a while. I'm encouraged by you young people that got a younger start on it than I did. 
Now, for those young people that think that they're already where I am now after 38 years, bless your darling heart and stupid heads. It just doesn't work that way. But the more and more you put your, put the word first in your life, the more and more you change your manner of thinking. Now, turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1. Because really, we're talking about putting the word first. We're talking about how to develop the spirit at this point. And the Bible gives you instruction for how you can develop your spirit. How you can develop your spirit so that you know that it's a safe guide. What happens so often, what happened to me in that experience, and I could give you a lot of others that aren't as funny, but some more critical. There are situations where we look to our spirits, but we're listening to our heads. And we don't discern the difference between those. And the word of God is the only thing that can make that distinction. It's the only thing that can. God told Joshua the key to success. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. God's speaking to Joshua, who is taking over as the leader of the children of Israel. He's taken over from Moses. He's got some pretty big shoes to fill. Moses was the greatest of the prophets as far as the, the, uh, the Jewish hierarchy is concerned. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets. But as far as the Jews are concerned, they feel like Moses was the, was the, the top of the pile because he's the one that gave them the law. Well, from that perspective, he is. And God's now replacing Moses with Joshua. And don't you know that God wants Joshua to be just as successful as Moses was? But it's not just some automatic thing. Notice that it's not something that God said, okay, I've picked you now, so don't worry, everything will work out. No, there's a responsibility that Joshua has. And notice what he says. He said, it all comes down to the word. And all they had was the book of the law. All they had was the law of Moses at that point in time. And notice he says, in verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, day and night. Now, we might paraphrase that since we've got more than the law of Moses, a lot more than the law of Moses. We know about the new birth, but the principles of God don't change just because Jesus came to the cross and was raised from the dead. God didn't change. He's the same now as he was before Jesus came to the earth. And so we could say the word of God, this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice the key to making the word of God part of your spirit is to say it. That's what just amazes me with so much criticism in the body of Christ about confession. People will talk about all those confession people. Well, for goodness sakes, it's the only way to put the word of God in your spirit. It's the only way that Jesus became your Lord is by confessing him as your Lord and Savior, and if you didn't confess him in some manner as your Lord and Savior, you never got saved. So how can you overemphasize confession? It's the life-changing experience. It's the means. It's the method. It's the manner that God has established to alter a person's life. So this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Notice saying the word is meditating the word. Notice you can't meditate in the word without saying it. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you have to keep saying it because once you say it, it's gone. So the only way to keep it from being gone is to say it again. This word of the law, book of the law shall not depart out of the mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Full time job. In other words, this is supposed to take your priority. 
Now, he's telling Joshua, he's already picked Joshua to be the leader. God intends for him to be successful. But notice God says, your success is up to you. Now, you'd think for somebody to have such an important position as the leader of the children of Israel, especially following in Moses, you know, immediately after Moses, you'd think that God would have made some kind of special allowance for him. You'd think that God would have some kind of special power for him so that it wouldn't be dependent on him. It would be dependent on God instead of Joshua. Wouldn't you think so? And that's the way we want it to be for us. But that's never the way that it is for anybody. This word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For what purpose? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Notice the point, the, the place that meditating, speaking the word of God, which is meditating in the word of God, has in order to be able to do it. Now, we, we think just the opposite. We think, well, if the Bible says do something, well, it'll just do it. Well, that's true. But you're not really going to be doing it from your heart until the word gets down on the inside of you. I know of people that have, uh, that have heard about tithing. They've heard about the promises of tithing, the windows of heaven blessing open to you as a result of tithing. And so they start tithing and it doesn't work for them. And I've had people come to me. I remember one guy very specifically. He tithed for several years, never had heard about it till he came to our church, started tithing. Things didn't go for him. His business just went the tank, kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, one day he came to me. He said, Pastor Mike, why is tithing not working for me? And I said, well, I, I without the Lord revealing something to me, I, I just don't know. And he said, well, I want you to know I'm doing what the Bible says to do. And it's just not working for me. It's just not working for me. And I said, well, be careful, because now it's a matter of faith. You're getting what you, you're going to get what you say now. He said, well, he said, Pastor Mike, I've been saying for years that it's working and it hadn't worked. I'm just facing facts now. Well, several years went by, found out that he's having an affair on uh, an adulterous affair all during that time that it wasn't working. Well, I didn't know that. I guess somehow or another he thought that that didn't matter, that the things of God would still work for him if he wasn't being a doer of the word in other areas. That's not the way it works, folks. This, And that's what he's telling Joshua. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. In other words, the purpose for meditating in the word is to be a doer of the word, not to try to cut some corner and get away with something. And notice what the result is, the last phrase in that verse. For then, after meditating, speaking and meditating in the word, being a doer of the word of God, as a result of accepting the word of God as uh, as real and as a priority. And folks, that's what meditating is all about. Meditating really comes down to putting the word of God first place in your life. You're not going to meditate in something that you don't accept to be true. And sometimes when we start meditating in the truth of the word, we don't feel like it's true. Our head tells us it's not true. Healing was like that for me. Man, I started confessing healing in the face of sickness. It's like my body's screaming out, healing can be right. If healing was right, this wouldn't be going on in your body. But I took the word of God and said, wait a minute, God said it, so it has to be true. No matter how I feel, this is the way it has to be. But I sure didn't get results overnight. I kept going and kept going and kept going. And finally, one day my eyes were open. It was like, whoa, now I see it. 
Now I see it. Notice what the result of meditating, confessing the word of God, meditating in the word, and then being a doer is. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to prosper or be a success. Do you? Everybody wants that. Well, let me ask you a question. Now, some denominations will tell you that God doesn't want that for everybody. But if God doesn't want that for everybody, why did he tell you the principle whereby it will work? Again, he didn't give Joshua some special dispensation and say, well, because you're the leader of the children of Israel, normally, if it weren't for the place that I've given you, normally you'd have to do certain things. But since it's you, I'm just going to make it work. Yet that's exactly what the church thinks by and large. The church thinks God picks and chooses favorites. He's picking winners and losers. And the people that have success are the ones that God must have chosen or decided somewhere along the way they're going to make it. But that's not what God's word says. It says you make your way prosperous. It doesn't even say God prospers you. It says you make your way prosperous. Based on what? Based on your attitude and actions in the word. Now compare that with Romans 12 too. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing is the, literally means to reverse by repetition. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the reversal by repetition of your mind. So he's talking about confessing the word, isn't he? Repetition would be to say the word of God over and over again to yourself. Same thing that he's talking about meditating. New Testament uses a little different terminology, but it's the same exact principle. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, if we take these two scriptures together, it's the will of God for all of his children to prosper. But it's up to you, based on the the actions of the word of God and renewing of the mind, that's going to make the difference for you. So much of the church world sitting around saying, well, I wish I could understand why God let this happen to me. And God's not the one making anything happen to them. They're the ones that's failing to act on the principle of the word that brings them success and prosperity. Have you found what a small percentage of Christians are willing to accept responsibility for their own well-being and their own situation? That's been the greatest disappointment to me as a pastor. Somehow or another, it just seems to me like everybody should want what God wants for them. And especially when they find out God always wants the blessings and good things for everybody, who wouldn't want that? But I've found that it's a very small percentage of people that are willing to accept responsibility and take the word of God and grab hold of, by faith, grab hold of the things that God's word says Jesus died for. That's amazing to me. I, I'm shocked at that every time I run across somebody that won't accept responsibility. It's like, well, wait a minute, the word says it. If the word says you can do it, you can do it. Well, I just think God's trying to teach me something. Okay. Now, folks, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's worth repeating here. And that is your mind, literally your soul, is the gateway to your spirit. Romans chapter 10 says that a person can't believe in Jesus if they don't hear hear the preaching of Jesus. Why? Why would that be necessary? If God's just picking and choosing who he wants to get saved, why would that be necessary? Because God has chosen for everybody to be saved. 
But it's not up to him. It's up to the individual. And the individual who allows, no matter what their mind says, no matter what thoughts they have, but allows the word of God to take hold on the inside of them. See, you've got two people sitting side by side hearing the same preaching of Jesus under the same spirit of conviction. One can say yes and the other can say no. It's not a matter of the preaching. They both hear the same thing. It's not a matter of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is bringing the same conviction to them. It's a matter of the choice or the will of the individual. In other words, the soul is the gatekeeper to the spirit. That's why God talks so much about you choosing to take action based on the word. Because as much as Jesus paid for, as much as the price that Jesus paid for you to be well, be, to, for you to be well, for you to, to have uh, prosperity, for you to, to be saved, for you to have all the blessings of God, those depend on you and your attitude and action in the word. Because he doesn't force anything on you. Wouldn't that be interesting if God forced you to be a success? If God just forced everybody to be a success, you'd have people that never renewed their mind to the word who were just as successful as people who put the word first and and got the blessings and the benefits that the Bible says belong to us. How would that fit? We'd be hopelessly confused about God. Because some people would say, well, I never did anything and God made me a success. And other people would say, well, I put the word first and renewed my mind to the word, and that's why I'm a success. How would that work? How would anybody have any kind of Certainty where God was concerned. But there is certainty with God, and that is his word always works for those who put it in practice. Now, James says the same thing here. James says in chapter 1 and verse 21, he said, lay aside all superfluity and, and um, naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, the saving of the souls, the same thing as the renewing of the mind, isn't it? Wouldn't it have to be? He says the word's the only thing. Receiving the word is the only thing that's going to save your soul or renew your mind. But then he goes on in verse 22 of James chapter 1 and he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So he's talking about the same two principles. He's talking about the renewing of the mind. In other words, to reverse your old way of thinking by saying the word of God. James calls it the saving of the soul. Through the word, it's the only way that can happen is through the word. And then secondly, be a doer of the word. Same things that, that God told Joshua. It's almost like God knew what he was talking about, huh? This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, folks, this does not literally mean that God is, you know, timing you on how much you're meditating in the word. It's showing the importance of the word of God to be more important than anything and everything else you've got going on in your life. And we all have other things we have to do. We have things that take our time. But even in the, the midst or the process of doing those other things, we can take a few seconds at a time, if necessary, and think on the word of God that we're trying to make real to our hearts. I think most Christians would do a lot better in, in, in not reading so much of the Bible, but meditating in, in just a few verses a day. I've seen people that have gone through this Bible reading program and, and they're so proud of themselves. They read so many chapters a day or whatever it is, but none of it's sticking. They don't retain any of it. And really what the Bible is saying, what the Holy Ghost is saying is the only way you're ever going to retain the knowledge of the word is by meditating. 
by saying it, not just by reading it, but by saying it. Because as you say it, the way that God has made us, we respond to what we hear. You respond to what you hear you say more than you respond to what you hear anybody else say. You can look in the mirror and tell yourself that you don't look good in what you're wearing, and it doesn't matter how many compliments you get that day, you're still going to think you don't look good in what you're wearing. Isn't that true, ladies? And when you wives ask us, how does this look? What are you asking us for? You've already made up your mind. There's a lot of truth there, isn't there? It's the way we do. We determine before anybody else has any input what we think about certain things. And no matter what anybody else says, we think what we think. Why? Because we listen to our own words. Well, if you make your words, the words that you speak, the word of God... That means you're going to start listening to the word, the word of God. There was a guy in church one day that he was a pretty successful farmer and his wife would come to church and he'd come with her every now and then. Kept coming and and, uh, uh, eventually got saved, wound up getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. But he just didn't believe in tithing. He just didn't, just couldn't see. He'd put a dollar in the plate every Sunday night and really think he did something, you know. And he just could not accept tithing and, and so forth. And, but, but his wife was after him and said, you know, honey, we want God to bless us. I mean, he has been good to us, but, but don't you want the blessings of God so that we can do more to help people and, and, uh, and so forth. So she had talked to him about tithing and he said, all right. He said, well, I, I'll do this. I heard the preacher talk about meditating in the word. I'll do this. I'll start meditating on these scriptures about tithing and see what the Lord says to me. Well, his wife thought that was just an excuse. He's going to come back a week later and said, no, he's not saying anything to me. But he was really sincere. So after a few weeks, he came to the to the, the church and uh, and stood up to give a testimony. He said, now, you folks know me. And he said, you know, many of you know that I, I never have given any any real um, credibility to this tithing thing. I just I just didn't see it. But I've been meditating in the scriptures about it, and I do see it. He said, but I want you guys to pray for me that now I'll do it. Well, how dumb is that? Now you see it, you want somebody to pray for you that you'll do it. No, it takes meditating in the word and being a doer. Meditating in the word and being a doer. There are things that God will lead you to do that don't make sense from the natural way of thinking. Now, you say that, and some people run off. They'll say, oh, the idea I've got doesn't make sense, so that's got to be God. No, that's not what I'm saying either. Some people are just looking for the weird way of doing things and say, that's God. That's proof that it's God. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are some things that God will lead you to do that don't make any sense from a natural way of thinking. For example, if you're in debt and God tells you to give, that doesn't make sense. Unless you look at it from the word's point of view. Unless you look at it from the promise of God, given it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. I have had, through the years, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Mike, should I do this? I'm in, I'm in debt, I'm in trouble here, should I pay my tithes? I won't answer the question. Because if they're doing it because I tell them they ought to do it, it's not going to work for them. But if they do it because they see something, if they do it because something's in their heart, now they're acting from their spirit and it'll bring results. But folks, I got to tell you, that's how I got out of the hole. 
I look back at where I started and, and, uh, in the debt that I had, looking at it now, it didn't seem like a lot of money, but back then it was all the money in the world. I mean, I was so far in the hole in my own thinking and, and as far as the money that I was making, I was never going to get out. Never. But there's not an offering that you go by that I didn't give. And I did it for several reasons. I did it because I was trying to put in on the inside of me, Luke 6.38, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together. And every time an offering had come by, I'd hear this voice say, you can't afford to give. And so I'd say, I know that's not God. I know that's the devil, so I'm going to give. Now, folks, you got to realize my offerings were like quarters at that point in time. That's all I had. I can't tell you how many times I gave gas money in the offering and some way or another God would make the gas work. I had a car that you measured gas mileage in feet per gallon. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times that thing would run on fumes for miles and miles and miles. I mean, the the, the gas gauge is pegging the door handle. They just keep going. Folks, there's a supernatural aspect to the word of God. Jesus said the words that I speak into you, their spirit and their life. Their spirit and their life. Proverbs chapter 4 says the same thing. It says my words are health or life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. The word of God is health. It's life. It's peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Isaiah 26, 3 has always been a blessing to me. It says this, it says that for thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. When you're in trouble and you're acting on the word just out of your heart, not because you see anything working yet, man, that peace of God is worth something, isn't it? Now, again, the terminology is different, but the principle is the same. Paul said the same thing to the Philippians in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. He said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are just and pure and honest and true and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things. So he's talking about the operation of the mind. He's talking about your mind being stayed on God and, and the word of God. And then it goes on in the next verse. And it says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Through Christ Jesus. So it's the same principle. Old Testament and new. Maybe a little different terminology, but it's the same exact principle. It's talking about putting the word of God to the forefront, making it a part of your conscious efforts to act on. How do you do that? By meditating in the word. Meditating in the word is just speaking the word of God to yourself. Folks, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But it doesn't matter how many times you've heard it or how long you've known it. It's always good to be reminded that the answer is always the same. It's speaking God's word. That's why Jesus said you'll have what you say. If that's true on the negative, how much more true and how much more of a blessing is it when you speak God's word? You'll have what you say. It's, it's amazing to me how some people come up and they'll ask me questions. They'll say, okay, Pastor Mike, I've got a question for you. And I'll answer the question and they'll repeat something back to me that wasn't even close to what I said. I didn't say that. 
Because whatever the question they're answering, asking me, I'm, the answer I'm going to give them is what the Word says. If I don't have an answer from the Word, I don't have anything to say. Because what I think, in my opinion, doesn't matter. What God's Word says matters a lot. You know, along that same vein, it's amazing to me how many Christians are going to psychologists and other people looking to other sources of information that are not spiritual sources of information. There's no Word of God that's being given as the answer to their situation. Well, how good can that be? How good advice can that be? I see Christians doing it to each other. I've had people come up and say, well, Pastor Mike, here's my situation, and my Christian friend told me this. I thought, boy, some friend they are. Because what they said had nothing to do with the Word. Folks, the Word is the answer. Always. And it's the only answer there is. It's not multiple choice. It's what does the word say? And that is the renewed mind. That's the first thought of the renewed mind. It may not know in every situation what the answer is from the word. It doesn't mean you've got the word memorized. It means you ask yourself, what does the word say about this situation? The answer is always the word. This word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Thou shalt have make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. I found that the more I confess the word, the more of an inward witness I have on what to do. I found the more of the word of God that I begin to speak, the more of the word of God I meditate on and put in the, on the inside of me, make a part of my spirit, the more my spirit is able to guide me by the Holy Ghost. The more there is, the more confident of the witness of the spirit of God within my own spirit on what I should do. Jesus said about the Holy Ghost, he said, he is the spirit of truth. How be it, this is John 16, 13, I believe it is. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. Well, isn't the word of God the truth? If he's going to guide you into all truth, that means he's going to guide you into victory in every area. So whatever situation you're facing, you can trust the Holy Ghost to show you which way to go. And the more the word of God you place on the inside of you by speaking in the word, by meditating in the word, the more ammunition you're giving him to lead you. The more confidence your spirit can become on the direction that the Holy Ghost has given you. And every bit of this is step by step by step changing the way you used to think to the way that God's word says we're supposed to think. Wouldn't it be nice if it happened overnight? I've got, a, I've got an idea, folks. Let's just pray that our minds would be instantly renewed to the word in every area. Wouldn't that be great? And I'd pay money for somebody to pray that prayer if it worked. Hey, we could use that for a fundraising program. Well, it doesn't work that way. It works day after day after day. One of the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God, he said that the kingdom of God is like a man that plants seed in the ground. And he goes to sleep and gets up and it's working and he doesn't even know how. Wouldn't it be nice if he said and it works overnight and by the time he wakes up, it's just full grown. That's the way we want it to be, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I wanted to be a full grown Christian overnight. And whatever growing I've got left to do, I want it to happen now. 
That's not the way it works. And if it did work that way, you'd never really know God. Because the way you get confidence and gain confidence in the Lord is by walking with him day after day after day after day after day. Now I can look back and I can say, I'm glad I didn't grow overnight. Because look at all the things that I've learned. Look at the confidence that I've gained in him. Now I know the voice of the Lord on the inside. I wouldn't have before. It would have happened too easily and too quickly. But you gain that confidence that he's always there. And even through your mistakes. i got to tell you something, folks. I've learned as much by spiritual development and being led by the Holy Ghost by the things that I missed it on than the things that I hit it right. Because I can look back to every one of those things that I missed it and I knew all the time on the inside. This is what the Lord's leading me to do, but it's not what I wanted it to be. It's not the way I had it planned out. It's not the way that I wanted it to work. It wasn't working fast enough that way. So I tried to take some shortcut. Never works. Never, ever, ever works. Proverbs says this. It says, there is no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. In other words, you can tell yourself anything and everything you want to tell yourself. But the witness that you have on the inside is always right. It's always right. You can't outsmart God. No matter how you want it to be. No matter how fast you want something to work. No matter what. That inward witness is always right. And one of the things, another thing that Jesus said about the Holy Ghost is that he'd bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. If you don't put the word of God in, the Holy Ghost has nothing to bring to your mind. You can't remember something you never heard. That's the, one of the real benefits of meditating in the word. You're giving the Holy Spirit opportunity to bring to your remembrance what Jesus said. In other words, you're giving him access to lead you and guide you. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about what that means. A transformation takes place in the life of a Christian. Somebody that's already saved. Someone whose spirit has already been made new. A transformation takes place when they renew their mind to the word. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to live. I want to live a transformed Christian life. That's the life Jesus lived. That's the, the life of God. That's the abundant life he said he came to bring us. A transformed Christian life. That's what Jesus died for you to have. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the privilege that we have to renew our minds to your word. Help us, Father. Open our eyes to the importance of putting the word of God first in our lives and being doers thereof. We thank you, Lord, for the guidance of the Holy Ghost who leads us and guides us through our own spirit. We thank you, Father, that that inward witness never leads us astray, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, always leads us into victory. He guides us into all truth. He guides us into all reality. Lord, make us sensitive that we might be a people that would follow the leading of the inward witness, the leading of the Holy Ghost from within, instead of our own thoughts and our own desires and our own ways. Thank you, Father, that as we feed our spirits upon your word, we grow to become the people that you want us to be and fulfill the destiny that you have for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.
God bless you. Thank you for being with us.